0: Up, I feel like an ex con trying to make good. Whenever I get dressed up.
1: Of the Better Yet podcast. I'm Chris, your host. Better Yet is a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. Oh, Bubba's Callahan. It happened. You know those people you're supposed to love, but it never really clicks. But then it clicks. You know what I'm talking about. Don't give me that. Had a wonderful dive into the beginnings of smog. And then you get a line like that first line. Oh, we're just getting started. But this isn't a Bill Callahan podcast. Jake Ewald, a slaughter beach dog and formerly of Modern Baseball is on the show this week. We talked about everything including the new Slaughter Beach dog record, safe and also no fear out now on Lamo records. And let me tell you about dressing up, trying to get a real job. There were reasons that I put this off for 32 years. Oh my God, it's the worst. Applications, resumes, cover letters, ugh. Thankful for this little reprieve that I get once a week. And I just gotta say, last week, Cole Cabana was on the show, and this is the guy that I was listening to years ago, thinking, I could do a show like this with with DIY. And he mentioned something that I immediately related to in a way that I I feel like I didn't stop and, and spend enough time on it in the interview because it was just so like oh yeah i know that feeling because you know me and Cole cabana were were uh contemporaries at this point but it's the absolute satisfaction you get just looking at the episode list you being me the absolute satisfaction that i get looking at the episode list it's It's an inventory that I really get so much out of stopping and just taking it in every once in a while. Things like that, they tend to come as you finish up a set. You watch the numbers on the odometer turn over, and looking back at this podcast and this run from 130 to 139, oh, my God, nothing but gold. The guests are Wilco Comp, and starting, too, from the first interview that I did after major surgery, we had... So much was up in the air, and I can't think of a a stretch of 10 that took longer for me to get through, but I'm happy that we did, and... Starting from that first interview with Rick, from Pyle, uh, and then moving forward now into this very nice piece of punctuation, having Jake here for one we We're sponsored this week by Brindle Book Club. It can be hard to figure out what to read. The back of a book, it doesn't really tell you anything. Reviews tend towards summary, and commercial bestsellers leave you cold. Wouldn't it be great? if there was a small group of book nerds dedicated to sending you some quality reads, Brindle book club is a new literary subscription service that puts together the best paperback fiction from past and present and sends it to your door once a month. Choose from any of Brindle's five subscription lines like decorated, which features award-winning novels worth the hype or criminal featuring mysteries and thrillers from around the world drawn from the neo-noir to avant-garde better yet listeners can save five bucks off their first month by using code better yet at checkout that's better yet all one word shipping is free books go out the first of every month go to brindlebook.com that's b-r-i-n-d-l-e book club.com use offer code better yet and start reading the good shit today i tell you what i got about two chapters left in the thief Fumi Fuminori Nakamura, I tell you what, I'm getting so much enjoyment out of this. I never read page turners, and now I got a good one. I got a good one on my hands. We also have a Patreon to tell you about. We've got some new terms over on the Patreon. As I'm leaving this coffee job, I can't steal coffee from work, so there's no more coffee subscription. But we're keeping things simple over there. You can pledge a couple bucks a month to the show just to say thanks. If you listen every week, a couple bucks from each of you would go a long way. I looked at my numbers. You know, I'm just saying. Um, but if you want to pledge $5 a month, we've got some bonus audio content twice a month over there. If you wanted to listen to this interview uncut in its entirety... A week ago, you could have. It was just sitting up on Patreon last Thursday. Put it up there. We've also got new music, programming over there, some specialty shows, boutique audio, if you will. Um, And for $10 a month, you get all of that, and then you get a custom mixtape made for you by me. You give me five bands that you like. I'll make you a tape out of that. I'll send it to you, and I'll also send you a digital format of that, but I got some ideas for some hand-covered shit to send out to you. Go on over to patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast and sign up. All right, my guest this week is Jake Ewald of Slaughter Beach Dog. Now, my introduction to Jake's music, most people's introduction to Jake's music, would come through Modern Baseball, a band Jake started when he was in high school with Brendan Lukens, one- that they would get off the ground when the two went to college in Philadelphia. And by get off the ground, I mean skyrocket. This band reached a level of popularity that I don't think anyone in this scene could have foreseen. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that copy. Modern baseball burned bright, but unfortunately burned fast. They would split up in 2017. By then, Jake had already started making music Slaughter Beach Dog. He made two records on his own, the second of which a record called Birdie was a record that, and we talk about this in the interview, but Modern Baseball, when I saw him the first time, they were a very young band, and I was a very old person. And I'm older now, and David Anthony sent me Birdie, the second Slaughter Beach Dog LP, and he said, you know what? Check this out. I think that you'll really vibe with what Jake's doing here. I listened to it, and was immediately connecting with the Sonics and the songwriting. I could tell he was going in a direction that was very focused and very intentional. That feeling only grew stronger when I heard the newest Slaughter Beach Dog record, Safe and Also No Fear, one of my favorite records of this year, and Jake's best work to date. So I was really looking forward to this one. And boy, did we get into stuff. So let's get to it. But we'll start with the song. This is Tangerine followed by my interview with Jakey Ward. Here's a smog record for yeah. you. I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> but I watched Callahan play Two Silver Jews covers oh, in New York shit. a couple weekends ago. Nice. One of them was "I Remember Me." Oh fuck. And then I was just like, oh man, that's best. It's time. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: we were we were yeah. in the living room the other day, and I, I just did the catalog. Just nice. Beginning of smog. I mean, I didn't have all day, but yeah. I got pretty far. And That's awesome. Fucking fucked me up.
2: Bill's got some shit,
1: so it's nice to have. Uh, nice to have that. Hell yeah! So I'm gonna I'm gonna start by asking you, um, a a question that I think is very a very good question for for two dudes to discuss on a podcast. Definitely. <laughs> Did you finish Infinite Jest?
2: absolutely <laughs> what'd you think
1: of it i loved it it's i'm so crazy. embarrassed
2: to talk about it the only person i talk to about it is uh uh it's david your right Fellow Chicagoan, david yeah. yeah 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 david and i host a podcast together i probably should have told nice. you that be-
1: before uh, yeah we we got as you were a podcast about alkaline trio nice um but Yeah. Well, I think David put it in the in the right perspective in that Mm -hmm. feature where, you know, he said he's aware of how ridiculous (laughs) it is that he's walking around with this book. Yeah. That book here's the thing about it. (laughs) It it's absurd. Yeah. It's self aware.
2: Yeah. It's so much fun. It's a lot of fun. It's, It's like a journey.
1: It's a totally entertaining Way to spend way too long. Mm -hmm. But, man,
2: I I mean, too too
1: much fun, really, if you think (laughs) about it.
2: The delayed gratification. Yeah. I had some, I cannot, that's like my thing, is I love, even when it seems pointless, I love waiting through the shit if it's going to give you something at the end. And the end fucked me up. Yep. So I was like, there we go. Friggin', just that Pepsi can. Dude. I...
1: I got so much love for, for Don Gailey. I, I tried to read it Dude. again. um, And I got I got a little bit caught up in, in one of the meetings yeah. where it was just like,
2: oh, man, yeah. this is fucking tough. Dude, Gailey was fucking, he was dark. He was fucking dark. Mm-hmm. Also, it's been crazy, like, when I read that, that was a few years ago, and to go, like, as time went on after I read it, I started actually hearing like in hospitals and stuff, hearing the names of all the freaky hospital meds that he was addicted to. And I would hear them in real life. And I was like, Oh shit, this is like, this is for real, for real. Um, but yeah, I actually, when I, when I, I finished it while I was on a, a cruise with my parents and <laughs> I didn't I didn't have any more books because I was like there's no way I'm gonna finish this right uh but I finished it and I had no more books and I just started over and I and I got like a hundred pages in from the beginning and it was like I had forgotten so much of what was at the beginning by the time I finished it that it was like reading again and I was like oh so much of this like makes more sense now because I actually I mean especially
1: up... the the first section with Hal talking about and then one yeah. day I'm
2: digging up that body yeah
1: um that's really fu- have you ever read his his essay about being on a cruise yes yes,
2: yes. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, I, read, so I read that in preparation for the cruise. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh man that's good so so where did you grow up I grew up uh mainly in uh well, all in Maryland some uh-huh. some parts more cornfield than others oh, okay a couple different towns
1: so so you're if it's cornfields you're away from the bay so you're western a little bit a little bit west.
2: Yeah. yeah. But we would always go to Rehoboth Beach on vacation, so we would be hitting the Bay Bridge, rolling over straight across. Yeah. Down a little bit. Um
1: Maryland yeah. Maryland's interesting cuz it's it's kind of like Illinois where people forget that it's a state. They yeah, just yeah, yeah. think about the big city that's in there. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. and Maryland I, is similar to most of Illinois where it's mm. It's a little a little dark
2: kind of empty right yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, what would your folks do my mom was slash is a minister United Methodist minister um, okay and my dad has uh, what was he whenever I was he's always been in education uh-huh. when I was growing up he was mainly by that point he was mainly an assistant principal. But as I got older, he was like a principal for a while, and he was a superintendent for a little while at a few different school districts. Big shot. Uh, was <laughs> big he? Was he campus. in
1: your? Was he in your? No, district? he was
2: in a. I forget why it worked out that way, but he was in like a neighboring county the whole time that oh, we were okay. growing up. Yeah. So, and so, I have a twin sister. So.
1: Oh yeah. I
2: do. What what's her what's her story What's she up to She is also well. She's not technically a minister now, but she went to seminary. Okay. After she got out of um, regular college, and she works at a church in Ohio. Uh, she's like a youth pastor, and um, she does that. So
1: method. I don't know too much about Methodists. So
2: it's well. It was. Uh, I used to like to say it's kind of just like. I don't know. <laughs> Chill, regular ass Christianity. Ah, uh-huh. um, <laughs> it's like very. If you know about like Episcopalian or Presbyterian, it's kind of just like the same deal as those. Sure, it's just not very intense, and it's pretty, pretty laid back. Well, um,
1: you got the line about the church chasing your mom out.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that was a, that was one thing that happened when I was when we were growing up. Oh okay. Uh, what, should I talk about it? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah sure. Um, I forgot that I put that in a song. Uh, there was, whenever we were in a particularly cornfield-y town, it was called Brunswick, Maryland, uh, my mom was at this church, and basically there was a sexual assault that happened between uh-huh. one of the young women at the church and this guy who was like a long-standing member of the church. And, of course, it was like, this backwoods town with all the good old boys right and everyone right. in the church was just on the side of this guy whereas my mom wait hold
1: on are we talking about the church here
2: the church the is church.
1: on the wrong side of sexual oh, misconduct dude. can you believe and it can you believe unbelievable. it unbelievable
2: yeah so there was that kind of situation and my mom and like a handful of people were on the side of this girl and trying to like go through the proper steps to do whatever they had to do to like turn it into a safe environment and like take care of everything um and it just got and they basically ran my mom out of town they would like it was, like, people leaving my mom messages late at night on her phone. Oh, Jesus. And, like, people not showing up anymore and just, like, talking trash everywhere. And it was just, like, it was so sad on so many levels. And at a certain point, it got so bad that my mom had to just be like, I got to go get a church somewhere else. Yeah. this is crazy. So
1: the whole family moved?
2: Yeah, we moved to, uh, we moved, we moved, like, one town over and... My mom, she didn't get a new church right away, but we moved one town over. My sister and I finished high school, and then my mom got a new church, uh, actually in Rehoboth, which is where she lives now. Rehoboth, oh, okay. East Delaware. Okay. But yeah, that was what happened with that.
1: So you, are, are you folks split up?
2: No, they're oh. uh, they're together. But what happened was, <laughs> what had happened was, my mom got that church in Rehoboth. My dad moved school districts and got a job at a district in Delaware that was kind of close. Oh, okay. And then he ended up getting offered a new position back closer to where we grew up in Maryland and my mom um at this point my mom was getting like kind of close to retirement, so they were like, "Okay, we want to end up in Maryland anyway. Why don't you go take this job in Maryland? You'll get a condo there and we'll do our jobs." For like two years, see each other on the weekends, and now my mom is actually about to retire and move back to oh, Maryland with my dad.
1: That's nice. So yeah, that's really nice. And y- you talk about them a lot. Yeah. In your songs, everybody's close and cool. Yeah, everybody's cool. That's good. Definitely. You, you, you know, it's, you hear a minister in the family, and it's like,
2: yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Were you Usually allowed not. to watch <laughs> R-rated
1: movies?
2: Like- yeah, there was definitely a lot of uh, a lot of uh, TV limitations, but Besides, like, those kind of rules, yeah. uh, It was my mom is a total nut for like talking about your emotions, yeah, and kind of just being really communicative. Um, which, when I was younger, was sometimes really frustrating because right. I was so, you know, out of touch with my emotions.
1: But when was... you're getting into emo bands, it's like, <laughs> this is wonderful. What
2: I want. So it was one of those things that when me and my sister got older, it paid off so hard because we realized like, oh, we are, you know, in our 20s and we have this amazing relationship with both of our parents and with our extended family because they put in all this work when we were younger to like nourish these relationships, even though we thought we didn't want it sometimes at right. the time, it ended up being sick.
1: So was
2: there music in the house when you were <laughs> growing up? There was. Um, but it was really kind of just I don't know, it was kind of digging through the trenches. Oh sure. There was like my mom really liked my mom's favorite music is disco. <laughs> she loved the Bee Gees. Yeah uh hey some of those
1: early records i mean they're not disco records but they, they sound got hooks fucking amazing yeah they got
2: hooks uh and my dad my dad was better my dad was like a huge u2 fan and i was into u2 yeah um Dude,
1: u2's got fucking
2: tracks <laughs> i love u2 they do uh any my dad like the who and like all those kind of bands like rock bands um but i just had when i was younger i had a hard time when i would listen to music like that like the who or u2 or anything in that realm it was entertaining but it but me playing music never crossed my mind when i listened to those I was yeah like, there's no way i could ever do this i don't know if this even seems appealing to me this is just like a thing that rock stars do
1: yeah my name's jake and that guy's name is
2: the edge <laughs> where did the the come from how do i get i can't even get that well it's an english thing or <laughs> <either. It's> like, <laughs> but
1: um so i guess then what's the thing that makes you say oh
2: yeah i could do that um probably probably uh i think once i started going to diy shows and finding where those were yeah It was like, oh, there are people my age who play in bands, and then you start being able to see the actual like arrow of time going. Like you're in a band when you're 16, and you play a DIY show, and then you get, you know, every now and then like one of these bands gets offered a tour, and they disappear for a while, and then maybe they put out a record, and you can actually like see where everything goes.
1: So where was that happening when you were in high school?
2: (laughs) Uh, not many places. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There was. The one thing that we put a lot of work into was there was this community center uh, in this neighborhood called Point of Rocks that was like 20 minutes from the high school. And once a month, maybe every other month, um, a few people would run out the community center and there were like six bands between you know within the community and like the same six bands would play the show and yeah, same yeah, 30 yeah. people would come uh-huh. uh but it was but it was really cool i mean at that time that was amazing we that was like the center of our universe um and there was also a little ways down the road and like 45 minutes away in Mount Airy, there were these like fucking uh, pay-to-play metalcore shows that we also started getting involved in.
1: So So was that your your shit? Was it metalcore? That was our fucking shit. I
2: I was in a metalcore band. Uh Um, What was it called? We were called Living Like Wolves. Uh (laughs) 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 We played the pay-to-play shows. We didn't play that many. It took us a long time to get on the pay-to-play shows. Yeah. Um, Were you playing guitar? I was playing bass. Okay, yeah. And I found out like... I just got married in July. Uh-huh. And uh, a couple years into my relationship with my now wife, Jess, we she grew up in Virginia and we realized that when we were in high school, the guy it was the same guy who ran the pay to play shows in both of our towns. And he had this <laughs> PA that he would like drive up and down ninety five yeah. and like get all these money from these kids and we were like, Holy shit, you went to that guy's shows? You went to Mikey's shows? Oh my god. That's fucking wild. It was weird. <laughs>
1: So you're playing, you're playing metalcore. Yeah. Um, so is that like, are you like between the buried and me metalcore? Like, was that the was we that liked the ticket? Between then? the
2: buried and me, but uh-huh. we did not have those chops. Okay. It yeah. Was... I mean, that's.
1: <laughs>
3: that's true. We were true. more
2: just like kind of simple, kind of breakdown stuff, and our guitar player Spencer, our guitar player Spencer was definitely like the best musician in the band, and he would write some actual like. Riff riffs to go between the breakdowns that were cool, um but i had i was like, i had no concept of like how to play bass in yeah any band, let alone a metalcore band it's not easy <laughs> it's a it's really hard, yeah, on your dude it's so. it's
1: very very tough, yeah, so when um i guess well when does uh when does Brendan come into the picture
2: I met Brendan in. Honestly, probably around the time that the metalcore band started playing the pay-to-play shows. Okay. Uh, because him and my sister were dating and- No way. Yeah. Him and my sister were dating. Uh-huh. How long did that last? Shorter than our friendship. <laughs> it lasted huh. like, um, I don't know, eight months? Okay. We, so it's we were an, friends way longer than the relationship. Right, right, right.
1: <laughs> but but eight months is a long enough time for you to have to maybe uh, confront a little bit of weirdness with your sister, right? Like, how did that conversation yeah, it go? Yeah, was,
2: it was honestly, it honestly got less weird as we became better friends. Yeah. But then at a certain point, it was definitely the weirdest time was when they were breaking up. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of obviously in the middle. Because by that point, me and Brendan were best friends. And my sister and I were, you know, our only siblings. Right. Um so that was definitely kind of a stressful time for everyone involved. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, at least it happened when you were teenagers and yes. emotions
2: aren't running high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we totally knew how to handle all of it. Yeah.
1: It was all good. So were you when did you two start
2: playing together? Or like what what was the bond? I think the thing was my sister and I had kind of the same group of friends because we were on in the same classes and my sister was good at making friends and I wasn't. So she would like make the friends. Uh-huh. Um, and all those friends were really into music, but they were very into Led Zeppelin and ACDC and like a lot of classic rock bands that I can appreciate now. But back then I was like, this is so fucking stupid. Yeah. I don't like any of it. Right. And when Hannah started hanging out with Brendan, Hannah was like, oh... I've been hanging out with this guy, Brendan, and he likes those bands that you like uh-huh. that our friends think are dumb. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So that was kind of the, we bonded over that and really quickly started um, just like getting together and working on songs, like in my basement, just the two of us.
1: But those songs weren't metalcore songs. They were not <laughs> metalcore songs, right? no.
2: And there was also like, this guy likes regular music that is not metalcore and it's not classic rock. It's like regular, you know, melodic music that is ha- happening now. Uh-huh. Like you... what? Like what? Um I remember we really liked we really liked The Gaslight Anthem. Yeah. We loved Dashboard Confessional. Yeah. We liked Motion City soundtrack. We liked Weatherbox, we like say anything. Um that kind of thing.
1: One out of 5 ain't bad.
2: <laughs> I guess say anything's all right. Say anything's all right. <laughs> Those yeah, early yeah. Gaslight like Anthem of the... records. Holy shit. Oh, none of the early ones. It was starting at 59 Sound.
1: Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Oh, God, you're but so yeah, your Sound was okay. But you're sound so was okay. Young. Yeah, it was all right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, it was the best that was thing the they did, the best thing that they did was Señor and the Queen, that EP. Yes. yeah. Be- oh, we my used God.
2: to, all, me and Brendan at the talent show covered uh, Blue Jeans, White T-shirts.
1: Oh, no shit. Yeah, high School Talent Show. Yeah. I, um, so... Bit of a detour, but I spent some time in Asbury, friends of friends, but uh uh this guy these 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 two people who I became friends with, Maddie and, and Jana, their house was the house that the fifty nine sound video oh my God. was filmed in and and Wig and Maddie did a T shirt had a t-shirt company so that's when you hear like this one wigs and who said oh so we were driving around and the, and then i was like oh this is we're on cookman yeah yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> what place do you think he was talking about and they're like these are all nice places like <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're all nice which yeah one
1: is it? um but okay so so you're writing songs together though yes. and then are you and you're playing around town as a duo right Or you just, you're just playing together and not playing together.
2: We maybe played maybe two, maybe three, uh, like DIY shows right before we finished high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And at at, at those, we would just play, the both of us would play acoustic guitars and Brendan would sing.
1: So did you record Nameless Stranger before you went to college or is
2: that. Started it, I think, the first summer home from college. Oh, okay. And then finished it back at school. So when you both
1: decided to go to Philly for college, was that by design, like, we'll go here or... Not really. just so happened that way. You just so happened
2: to get... Brendan went first. Uh Uh-huh. And they were a year ahead of me. I was going between... I was trying to decide between Boston and Philly... You went to Drexel, right? I went to Drexel in Philly. I'm trying to think about what the... I think in reality, I got the biggest scholarship to the school in Drexel. Ooh. I remember we had this chart on the mm-hmm. wall in the kitchen that was like, here are the schools you've applied to, and then here is how much scholarship you get to each one, and it was like, okay, this one, this is probably the You're one. You're smart. I'm kind of smart. Yeah. I did good in high school. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, Drexel.
1: Drexel. That's not. That's not like you went to freaking Faber
2: <laughs> College. <laughs> what do I say? Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Would you go? Would you go to to Drexel for?
2: They had this thing called a music industry program. Oh, okay. Um, so that was one of the big appeals. And yeah. Bo- uh, Northeastern in Boston had a similar one. Um, but it's basically they have studios in the school, and you take a handful of classes about music business and a handful of classes about music recording and a year in you get to pick a, one of those as a concentration and just dive in further. Yeah.
1: And and your folks were were they trying to be like well, you, you could do like mathematics, Jake, that might <laughs> they were, suit you a little bit better. They they've were well, we They were pretty the chill. Yeah. yeah.
2: It was it was kind of like I think it helped that there was never a point where I was like I want to do music and I don't know what that means. Right. It was like I didn't even bring that up until I found out that there were these programs at these schools. Uh-huh. So I was I was like oh there's this thing called a music industry program at these five different schools I want to apply to these schools to get into one of these programs and they were like oh college great yeah um, it was definitely you have to go to college there was no question about that
1: right but so we're uh, and you go into Philly when it's like I mean you're gonna end up working with Joe yeah and. I mean, that, that shit is, is happening. Did you did you know about it then, or did you get there and, and realize, like, oh, fuck? Yeah, we had no idea yeah. until we got there. Oh, man, <laughs> was that crazy. was that was the fucking time.
2: And then now it's kind of even feels like, I mean, it feels wrong to say we took it for granted. We didn't take it for granted, but we. I don't even think we fully realized how insane it was while it was happening. Because looking back now, it was kind of like that was, there was... Shit going down.
1: It's wild to time. look Yeah, it's wild to look at it and you and you see like oh, okay, like these Lehigh Valley kids like come over, but then you also have the Menzingers mm-hmm. and Cayetana mm-hmm. and Captain Were Sinking. Like yeah. they're it's not just that a thing was happening in Philly, it's like the... four things were happening in Philly, and it seemed like it was all together. Like, Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There were no Everybody was invited all the time.
1: So when does when does I guess modern baseball start to
2: form into you know the four piece lineup? You're playing shows. We did Nameless Ranger, and that was just me and Bren. And then um, we did a split with this band called Marietta. <laughs> <laughs> just got to get some relaxing in. You got to relax. Yep. We did a split with this band Marietta, and that was also we were still kind of committed to being just the two of us and then after that when we started playing more shows was when Ian and Sean got involved kind of fully and Sean had a van because he had gotten in a Sean had like gotten in a car accident and he used the insurance money from the car to buy a cargo van because he was in another band at the time and he was like I'm gonna be the guy with the van oh yeah so he got this van basically for free and that was another thing that was like Sean plays drums, he's got a van. Uh, those are
1: the two most difficult. And he was parts. twenty-one
2: when we weren't twenty-one. So there it was like you go. insane. There you go. And you meet you meet Ian uh doing the program? Uh yes, met Ian doing the program. The way that we met Ian was um we all lived in the same dorm room. Eric, who runs Lamo and ended up managing us, was had met Ian at orientation. And one day we were all about to go hang out. And Eric bumps into Ian in the hallway with a book under his arm. And Eric's like, oh, what are you doing? And Ian was like so shy. And Ian goes, I was going to go find a tree to read this book under. And he was like, fuck that. You want to go come get drunk with us? Uh, and then I think somebody went and like bought 40s and we listened to Pinkerton in somebody's dorm room. But that was, that was how Ian got involved. <laughs>
1: Go read this book under a tree. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) No, I read this. I read The Stranger under a tree in in two
2: sittings. There you go. Um, go. It's good sometimes.
1: So so when when did you start recording sports? Then you were in school and and using your your facilities. School studios. Yeah.
2: It was. uh, Sean must have been playing shows with us by then. But I played. I played all the guitars. I played all the most of the instruments, and I played the drums on it and Ian recorded it because uh-huh. he was the most knowledgeable and Bren wrote most of the songs, obviously, and uh sang um and it was pretty much just me and Ian and Bren in the studio doing a bunch of late night sessions,
1: yeah, wow, and then you you make this record, and then you and Eric. all decide like let's start a label so that we can put this out
2: yeah i think we finished recording it we definitely started recording it before eric decided to do the label yeah but eric was super into music and he had saved up all this money from working at starbucks in high school (laughs) and he was like i have this starbucks money i'm pretty sure there was also some bar mitzvah money involved and he was like I love record labels and I love music. I want to start a record label. God, so we just to be young. I know, I know. He had just read uh, the fucking Merge book, and he was just uh-huh. He was on it. So that was that oh was what my we did. god. That was it.
1: So and 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 then you make a, a record for him that has just been able to kickstart this entire label.
2: It was kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that thing
2: blew up. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really... It was crazy, though, because we had no... I mean, I was in the metalcore band, but other than that, this was, like, our first real band. So we had no gauge of, like, what was normal and what was not normal, and we were just, like, coasting. No idea what's going on, right. but we're just... We're following whatever this thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It You're, was really are, you, are
1: you just, like, taking a little bit of... Um, I mean, you have so many people who are involved in how this shit
2: works mm-hmm. well so. i don't know it was strange because at school when we were taking those music industry classes it was so professional business oriented like this is this is how you work for live nation or this is how you like book a national tour oh. in you know a thousand capacity clubs but right. we had been coming up in this philly diy thing yeah so there was kind of there was one professor Who kind of had an idea of what was going on there. His name was Ryan, and he's like, he's the fucking boss. He's the man. He masters all the records in Philly. Is that Ryan Schwab? Yes. Cool. Ryan Schwab. Yeah. Uh, So he he definitely knew what was going on there, but um, other than that, we didn't really. I think the only time we really went to a professor to ask for his sincere advice was when we got, I think at one point, we got a contract from somebody. It might have been our first the contract from run for cover but the one i remember distinctly was uh at one point somebody was gonna potentially sing a modern baseball song on american idol and so they sent over this prospective like contract that we were like we have to show this to a teacher because we cannot absolutely yeah um but other than that it was like they were all just so you know real business oriented but we were even when we got out of diy it was still like we were doing a lot of handshake deals with everybody so yeah We were just and,
1: but I mean, like the Golden Tea House has plenty of people who are just like yeah just do this and then exactly book a book a like twelve day Midwest tour true yeah there
2: were we could definitely see like okay this is what we're supposed to do we're supposed to do this Midwest tour or we're supposed to like you know uh you know maybe we shouldn't play in Philly two times every weekend right Uh, yeah (laughs) and that kind of stuff Uh definitely so
1: when does Run for Cover come in to pick that up you you got you sold out of the first really fast
2: yeah i think that was on our one of the first tours we did uh on sports it was a totally it wasn't a fully diy tour we kind of had like half but i think and we had our agent our brand new agent at that point had booked like a couple weeks of it and then a bunch of the rest of it was diy but how long was that tour it ended up being like 40 days I think Jesus. It was it was pretty long. Yeah. Uh, and on that tour, or no, it must have been a different one because that was in the summer and this happened in the winter. I think it was maybe it was I don't remember. Yeah, sorry. Right. It was one of the first tours. Uh-huh. uh They just hit us up out of the blue, like totally out of nowhere, sent us an email and said, "Do you want to do this?" And we said, "Duh." So
1: yeah, I don't know. And they were like, "Could you give us a little bit less of a snarky answer?" <laughs> Yeah. So a yes or bag. no would be
2: <laughs> would be nice here. Yeah. We got the we it was New Year's Day and we had just played a show at somebody's house and we woke up New Year's Day, got the email, and went directly to an outback steakhouse and bought a Bloomin' onion. Fucking
1: right you did. Yeah. It's that alone <laughs> is, that alone is wild. <laughs> and not the bloomin' on, onion part, yeah, but yeah. just the the quickness of totally. of all of this.
2: And, and like I said, we had no, we didn't know how any of it was supposed to happen. We were like, "Is this normal? Is this weird? Yeah. This is just happening." Uh huh.
1: So were people helping you out then? I guess we're. How do you it, mean? It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to happen, right? Because okay, mm. I'll relay an experience that I had with your band that um, I think that y- you and I are, are on a good enough level where I can, I can, I can. Play I can tell me. you this, Speak and and uh, and and you'll get it, because um, I can't remember. Oh no, I, d- I did confirm this. So my old band, oh. uh, please and thankies, we played with you, oh, yeah. at Narnia, yes. And I in the garage, yeah, yeah. That place was packed, mm-hmm. and that place was packed with children, <laughs> and yeah, I <laughs> I watched <sighs> your set. Uh And I was like, this is really fucking good.
2: Really? Yeah. Okay.
1: I bought the record. I I, got it. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome.
2: Um I thought you were gonna say, I'm too old for this. We're getting there. (laughs) Cool.
1: It was like it it was like it was like, this is really fucking good. There are so many kids here (laughs) and I'm
3: old. old.
1: And then do you know Marcus? Do you know Marcus? Marcus and and I are a few years apart even and mm-hmm. he said to me like man I feel old and I'm like I'm glad that you said it cuz <laughs> yeah. I'm 5 years older than you. Yeah. But um <laughs> it was it was interesting to me to go home, I listen to that record I really like. It. Cool. I I I I really was like man these are just straight from the guts songs this is not for me and that's cool this is this is for everybody who came to that show and that's that's fucking awesome Mm -hmm. and the um a big thing that that brought me back to your music was david i watched the rise Mm -hmm. and i was like it's wild to see even just just the fact that a a show that has Joyce Manor on it is selling out <laughs> places and like there's nothing but I see nothing but goodness in this band mm. um and when I started doing this podcast David reached out to me after the first episode <laughs> we were kind of friends yeah and he was like I like what you're doing like and that's how we became friends and w- when I read his piece about your band Mm -hmm. i was like
3: fuck Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's it's so it's like every writer's dream Mm -hmm. to do that type of piece and i and i loved the fact that immediately y'all are referencing almost famous because that's what it was yeah and the fact that it that something like that is happening in this world Mm -hmm. is just Mm -hmm. incredible yeah and um and we talked about that david was on the show and um and when this project started when slaughter beach dog started he was like hey listen to birdie and i was like i was like oh yeah yeah i yeah. know i don't know and he's he's like no you'll <laughs> like it and i was like okay and then i was like oh yeah nice so I've had cool. I've had time to go back too. Awesome. And and um, but I think that it's good perspective for you know this conversation to yeah to 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 just kind of pull the focus out a little bit and mm-hmm. and to to see it from my you know when when the Philly shit when the Lehigh Valley shit was uh, happening. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, these kids there? are my age and yeah. fucking right. Yes, yeah, sometimes I get drunk at night, too. And then you all come along five years later and you're like, sometimes I get drunk at night. I'm like, yeah, but I'm trying to do that less right now, dude. Like, And not in a, like, I drank too many beers last oh, night. Man. I don't want to do that. But, um, you know, the fact that sports blew up hmm. is insane. And the fact that you went from sports to where you were in 2016 when that piece was being written is mm-hmm. even more insane. so it it just that had to be such a mind fuck absolutely. I look at it and I look back a little bit and I look at the way that you've talked about it in other interviews and and it feels like there's a there's a time when things are it, it's, just, it's like a runaway train mm-hmm. and i I guess Definitely. you know, bring me into into that. A little bit like, yeah, it, it seemed like a lot of like not knowing when to say no Absolutely. and just like keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it.
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. It was like. Grow up right now, because this is all happening and you can't say no to it. Uh, And you're in college and you have families and you have relationships and you're twenty one. Yeah. um and you didn't expect any of this your parents didn't expect any of this uh and also even back then it's it's so funny to think about it now because even though we were fielding all these like crazy opportunities it still felt like a risk to drop everything and keep saying and keep like doing this stuff
1: you, you stopped going to school right we would
2: take uh, planned breaks from school. Uh-huh. They let us take, like, certain semesters off. Oh, okay. Um, and honestly, if we had fucking known how it was going to go, we would have just stopped going to school because that was hell. Like, going sure. on tour for three months and then going back to school for three months. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is we didn't know what was going to happen. Not that you can, but, like, uh, we were so aware that, like, Music is not a thing that works for people. That's why we have to keep going back to school. Um, we're gonna say yes to these things because we'd be crazy if we didn't, but we have to keep this thing going in case this just fizzles out one day and um and I don't know it was it was also so hard to quantify everything because we weren't adults. we were kids, so we didn't know like what we needed out of life. like we don't know how much money we need to be making. In right. like two years from now, we mm-hmm. don't know if we are going to need a degree. We don't know like is any of us going to get married anytime soon? Like any of that stuff, we just have no idea.
1: You've never paid rent before.
2: You're... Never paid rent before. Right. Yeah. I'm living in... Uh, I wasn't living in the basement. Emily was living in the basement. But it was like the five of us in a house. Uh-huh. Uh My parents gave me $300 a month. Yeah. And it was like, you know, what do we need? What are we going to need? We can't... I can't add together any of this. So a lot of a lot of crying on the phone with my parents a lot of making my mom cry on the phone yeah uh and a lot of fucking going on tour
1: that <laughs> two good things you know oh, that yeah. was that that really <laughs> kind of nails it
2: yeah yeah that was that was kind of in the in the thick of a lot of that stuff um it was really difficult with my family uh because like i said <laughs> My parents put so much work into um, not just having a relationship, but a big part of that was, like, physical time together a lot. And, like, visiting, being there on every holiday, being there, like, a lot of times a year. And so when we would go on tour, especially while we were in school, we would go on tour... um, Around the holidays, because that was when we didn't have to go to school. Right. But that's like when you visit your family. So just like year after year, being like, I can't come to Thanksgiving. I can't. Co- I gotta go on tour uh, the day after Christmas because we just got offered this, you know, whatever it is, like cool bands playing a holiday show. They want us to open the show. Right. That kind of thing. Uh huh. And it was just happening over and over and over again, and we couldn't say no. And it was just a lot of like, I'm sorry, man. We gotta do this.
1: And, and I and I this is not. Eric has obviously done a very good job for for you in so many ways, but mm-hmm. it's like Eric is a kid too. Same thing. So, right. Same
2: thing. He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. He's just like fielding the emails and he's like, yo, everybody, guess what? We just got this. Right. Do you want to do this? I yeah. feel like we should. <laughs> and we're all like, yeah, I think we should do <laughs>
1: I mean there's a there isn't an, another much brighter narrative in all of it is lo- looking at sports and and you you got some you got some really good tracks on there but you've got like, three of them and <laughs> then brendan has got the the lion share and then yeah. you go to the you go to the next one and it's half and half it's <laughs> you're you're Johnny Resnick you're <laughs> you're George Mo- most of all yeah I thought about that one thought <laughs> about that one there we go I mean, t- talk to me, too, I mean, about that time of your output is obviously increasing significantly. Mm-hmm. Are you writing more? Is it just the fact that you're so involved in music that you got things that are just kind of free-flowing and you're like, oh, yeah, there's <laughs>
2: another riff. I didn't even mean to... I was just <laughs> trying to, like... Around?
1: Turn my amp
2: on. <laughs> uh, I think it was really when when Bren and I first started writing songs. I think I misgendered Bren before. Bren identifies as I, they. I
1: think I might have too, so um, um, yeah.
2: But when Bren and I first started writing songs before, um, Bren had been like writing, writing songs for a few years. Yeah. And I had like never written a song. I just knew what kind of music I liked. And I was like, oh, Bren likes this too we gotta be friends right and so uh it was like as the as time went on I like when we did sports those were some of the first songs that I ever wrote and I just like was not it was I was doing that thing where every like I don't know it's kind of, now I have a, a much better gauge of like, if I, if I start something, I can be like, this is going to be good or this is going to suck. Stop doing this. But uh-huh. back then it was like, everything sucks. Everything's so bad. So I you was don't, just, you
1: just stop yourself. Yeah. I would stop so many times right.
2: and I did not produce anything. But the more we started playing together and the more we kept like writing, uh, I was just getting more comfortable with actually writing songs. So, yeah. and it was also kind of got easier because we could be like okay well i have like six songs i have six songs all right that's a record here we go yeah cool like so. <laughs> we, we were
1: able to really churn one out quickly yeah, totally and, and of and of pretty pretty good quality too Thank you. i find it a little there's a little bit of irony in in the fact that now you're writing songs for modern baseball and there's also uh, a good amount of like what what am i supposed to write about for this band <laughs> going on too so it's, yeah. and that's kind of where slaughter beach dog comes in right mm-hmm. you 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 say i'm gonna do something and i'm gonna set these characters down and pretty loosely right mm-hmm. you can just write about 80 percent of yourself instead of 100 yes kind of yeah. what based on. Because like was. you were saying it
2: really was just straight from the gut so right whenever the gut was empty i would get these this feeling that's like oh there's i can't write a song now There's nothing, I don't have anything going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I just.
1: That's such a weird feeling to have, right? Because it's like, it's like every time you come up with something good, it's like magical because it like happened and you were lucky enough to be there for it, Mm. but that doesn't sustain.
2: Right. Exactly. Uh, And what I had to do was start practicing other ways of writing to figure out, I don't know, how can I write? songs that are informed by more than just my own experience um maybe other things that are still my experience but like my experience as lived through a book that I read or like someone that I met or a movie that I saw yeah um and because all of those things are inspiring emotions in me and making me feel a certain way but I don't yet have a grasp on like how to put those emotions into a song. I only know how to write a song that's like strictly this is a thing that happened to me. Right. So it was basically like I would start writing these little short story type things. um, And then I would turn around and try to make a song out of those experiences that I wrote about. And it was kind of just like homework for (laughs) writing songs.
1: So it's, it's, it's almost like you put it, you filter it through one, and then you filter it through mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. You ever read Beckett?
2: Uh, no, I don't think so. So, no.
1: so Sam Beckett would, um, he'd write his stories in English, and then he'd translate them into French. Really, and then he'd translate the French back into back in English? English. Wow! So his the weight of. Each one of his words is so fucking significant. Wow. Um, unfortunately, he's heartless. So <laughs> there's, no, there's no good <laughs> significance. Yeah, that's um, interesting, though. I mean, he's funny, but it's all like, you know, like, yeah, well, we're gonna die one day. <laughs> yeah, and it's mostly because we're just gonna decompose. So <laughs> here's 200 pages about it. <laughs> um, but where does that idea come from? Cause there's two things that I like about it. One of them is that <laughs> is that, is that it's mature. It's nice. it's understanding that like, okay, I've only got me, and mm-hmm. that's only gonna serve for so long.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, I think it was probably, I, uh, I would not have been able to put this into words back then, but I think a big part of it was, uh, this, a sneak preview of an identity crisis that I started having more seriously, more recently, uh, where it's like my whole life is wrapped up in this band and this identity as a person who produces music, but 80% of the year I am not producing anything. Uh-huh. And it's like, what the fuck am I doing? Who am I? Um. I would write a handful of songs, like, you know, in a month or two months, and then we would record them, and then I just wouldn't write anything for, like, months and months and months. And for a lot of that time, I would be distracted, like, at school or on tour or any of that stuff. But if I was ever just uh, clear for a moment... yeah. It was. It would feel so scary and uncomfortable because it was like I've built up this identity of like this thing that I think I am, but in reality, I'm not writing songs. I'm not that person. Uh, I'm sitting here not writing any songs, so it was kind of weird.
1: Yeah, that will fuck you up. No, I'm not even. I'm not even. Yeah. Gonna, you ever uh, the Google Dolls behind the music. Yeah. Johnny Resnick. Like two years writer writer's block, and it was just because the synapse fired. Of, I'm a songwriter. Mm-hmm. That's how I make mm-hmm. my fucking living. Terrifying. And I just had this hit. Now what?
2: Terrifying. And he figures it out. He, and I, I didn't even have hits. Hey, I was you just a schmo. I
1: am looking at <laughs> I'm looking at so many digits on those goddamn YouTube video views. <laughs> um, yeah. but you know, I think that. It's something that I've seen continue in in your in your work a lot, and um, and it was what really solidified uh, the Slaughter Beach Dog Records for me was just that you seem to find good ways throughout your time to continue to force your hand a little bit. You mm-hmm. you push yeah. yourself, and I feel like that that really showed itself on on the newest record where it's like, all right, you made you made two things by yourself. Now you got to bring a band in. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's, that's kind of like, I'm glad all right, it I got to, what's
2: that? Oh, I just said, I'm glad it seems that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of, well, you're
1: conscious of that, right? These are absolutely. all conscious decisions. Yeah.
2: I mean, probably
1: you're glad it seems that way because you think about it that way, not yes. just because
2: you're I, trying I to, want to do the obvious like that I'm trying shit. shit. Yeah. yeah. I want I want people to know that I am, I'm not cool guying this. I am like, trying really hard (laughs) yeah um and uh i just the older i got the more i admired i realized that the bands that were sticking with me were the bands that did that yeah the bands that like i could still listen to as i got older were the bands that were like okay i did this once how can i challenge myself with the next thing
1: so so who who in particular um i mean especially This record Mm -hmm. and Birdie, too. Mm -hmm. Like, who's who are people that you're like locking into and and seeing, like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a thing that's that's a some smart people did that. People,
2: um, absolutely, Wilco, yeah, absolutely, Neil Young, yeah, um, honestly, those are probably the hugest two, but beyond that, just like Elliot Smith, um, the first real one was probably the Weaker Thans into John K. Sampson, yeah um and
1: i get a i get so much at the john Kay mm-hmm. records on on your stuff now just especially like you know i love how pastoral birdie is mm-hmm. but it's all most of it's taking place in philadelphia yeah. yeah you're right you're riding buses and in, <laughs> in you know what's that <laughs> i was sneaky about yeah. it. <laughs> but you do a really i think you do a really good job with the way that you're writing about um about things now you you zoom out really well and you know you okay. might you might mention that you took the the 10 bus or
2: whatever but mm-hmm.
1: you know every every metropolitan has a 10 bus right
2: you can stick your own 10 bus in that picture frame
1: yeah <laughs> fucking that's fantastic thank you you know, back to back to modern baseball, you, you you run into this issue of, you know, you don't have much to write about. You're not sure, and then um, you you have something really significant um, to write about. And my uh, grandpa died. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sorry to to have heard that and and learned that. Thank you. I um I lost both of my grandpas in about 10 days two years ago yeah holy crap it was it was fucking wild dude um yeah in my 30s like had all four grandparents and then
2: that was the other thing is i felt so lucky for so long to have all my grandparents because all my friends didn't have grandparents Mm -hmm. but it was really uh it was honestly like as we were making the record we made this like little Documentary thing where Bren talked a lot about. Yeah, um, I just watched that. Oh, I just cool.
1: watched that last night. Cool. So this there is all this is all really fresh for me. So is it alright if we talk about? it Absolutely, a bit? yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, so that was a lot of what Bren was writing about was their struggles with just like figuring out what is going on um, with their mental health because Bren was in a really bad place back then, um, and I had just had my grandpa just died and I was like feeling kind of freaky about it, but I didn't really, it was kind of weird. Cause I was looking back kind of at, I think after it came out, I watched it and I was like, why do I feel strange about the me part? Like, why does this feel weird? And I think it was because, and also I was like, does this even line up with the songs? Like, are these songs about my grandpa? But it, what I realized was that, it was the thing that was messing me up. Was it created the first like significant turmoil in my family? Yeah, like across extended family and everything. Um, with just dealing with his death and like even just the basic ins and outs of it, um, like getting everybody together or like figuring out. I don't know. It was just like I said. My family is so into like communication and being together all the time and all this stuff. And then this thing happened where it was like the the blinders came off and it was like everybody having to deal with this thing. Yeah. And it was my first time like seeing my family have to do something like that. And looking back on it, I was like, oh, that's what those songs are about. They're not really about my grandpa. Obviously, I loved him so much and I miss him a lot. Um, but the real shocking part of it was like watching my family handle this thing
1: yeah so it's like the extended discord and yeah and the way that happened with one of my grandpas too where it's Mm -hmm. it it seemed to have been holding a lot i think that's those are the exact words that you use Mm -hmm. doc this is uh this person that was at the center of everything yeah and and then people scatter falls apart a little bit right in in ways that yeah i don't it's tough. It's mm-hmm. really tough. Don't don't sit too much with the the me part of it, mm-hmm. like feeling um yeah. cuz y- you're you're a kid and <laughs> and you're you're still figuring out that like perspective comes from places Absolutely. outside of yourself.
2: Totally. It was uh yeah. And that and like beyond my family stuff that was like the first that was the first major death that I had as somebody close to me yeah so it was just like even more confusing on top of that
1: um it's you know listening to that and listening to you to this this figure who's like watching you or, or it's just like omnipresent and and then thinking about Brendan and um what happened there. Mm-hmm. It's you can call it whatever you want to call, you know? <laughs> Spirituality, yeah. absolutely physics, yeah, cosmic time. Um Yeah. That story I was I guess I had this like kind of interesting perspective of of watching all of that and and seeing that this was the especially with like Brendan stuff like Mm -hmm. this is this is what happened yeah yeah this record like yeah real shit um when you're a part of like promoting a record in that way Mm -hmm. and and that's it's it's a good it's a good thing to do because it's a fucking powerful story to share And and all of that, but it's just like
2: But it was a lot of responsibility. It is. And we I don't think we knew that until afterwards. Yeah. We at least we didn't I don't think we comprehended that. You become
1: you (sighs) become Yeah. And
2: that was that was like that was when it really started piling on emotionally and we were like we have become this thing for all these people by just opening completely uh huh, and now it's like there is no the thing that I'm most recently obsessed with mentally spiritually is like identity and trying to get really good at removing myself from my identity when I need to and just yeah. being like I am I'm here there's nothing going on here If I walk outside, I'm, like, a songwriter or I am uh, a guy in a band or I can drive a car or, like, I went to college. But if I need to, I can just close my eyes and say, like, I'm none of that stuff. Right. I'm just here and I'm alive. But back then, we were so tied to what we were in public. And so anytime some conflict got thrown at us or anytime – we got, you know, confronted by an issue. There was nowhere for us to retreat, to just like collect ourselves and figure it out. It yeah. was like everything was public. This is exactly who we are. You know us, and, and this is can, how we define ourselves. Right?
1: You can depend on us. Like yeah, you, know, we're you can there depend on us. It. We're there
2: for you. Right. You can talk to us whenever you need to talk to us. Um, and which we is had a no- noble,
1: <laughs> noble thing to say, and it's great. Um, but, and a lot of that came see...
2: from doing, coming up in DIY, because when you say that to like the other five people at the house show, right? you really mean it because yeah. they're like your friends that live down the street, but we just kept saying it
1: to mm-hmm. everybody
2: and it was like, oh shit.
1: And then, I mean, the coming to terms with something like that is just, it's so loaded. Like, hmm. what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? Like, deny people?
2: Yeah, right. Because that's even worse than like not doing it in the first place.
1: But is it? It's it has to be so easy to get in your own head about like, oh, I'm not like as present for this thing that's happening mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. as I said I would be, mm-hmm. and that's not fair to whoever this might affect.
2: Right. That was that was the thing that started happening is like we put ourselves in this position where we're not being fair to ourselves and we're not being fair to the fans. So who is, who is winning here? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: So (laughs) we're, how was communication between everybody during that time?
2: Non-existent. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It was, it was just so much, it was so much pressure on everyone and, it was a lot of like that adult thing that I was talking about. Like you have to be adults now. You have to figure this out. And we didn't know, we didn't know how to deal with that stuff on our own, let alone as a cohesive group. Cause we were like a, you know, incredibly democratic band Mm -hmm. where it was any time a decision had to be made. It was the four of us and Eric either on the phone or in person or in an email making that decision. So, I, in particular, was really bad at avoiding conflict, and that's what I've spent (laughs) the most time working on in therapy for the last however many years. Uh Um, But I made a lot of that stuff a lot worse because I was... Not saying anything, anything. and then you
1: were mad at everybody. Exactly, exactly.
2: And so it was just like this parade of me in particular, but sometimes all of us just doing that. But it was, by this point... We were a big band with responsibilities.
1: So when Brennan says, I can't do this European tour, and you go over, is it just the three piece?
2: Uh, our guitar tech, Nick, who actually plays Guitar and Slaughter Beach Dog. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> you know, Can Nick?
1: we talk about when there's going to be another fucking All Dogs record? Because I saw <laughs> we, that. We can't talk about that. Oh Absolutely. my God. Yeah. What the yeah.
2: fuck? Good band. Figure it out. Good band. I know. We keep telling him yeah, those Yowler records, they're
1: fine. You know what they're not? You know what they're not? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Good band. Good band. Great band.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: So <laughs> Nick's playing Nick's playing guitar for you.
2: Right. So N- Nick had been guitar teching. He was on the plane with us to be a guitar tech, and we got on the plane and started teaching him the songs. So Jesus. he played guitar, and I think Ian sang a couple Bren songs. I sang maybe one or two Brent songs and then Chrissy who was who's the singer of Thin Lips who had gone on that tour with us Uh uh, Chrissy sang two or three Brent songs so it was like we would play a set that was mostly my songs and then we would add those like six Brent songs
1: when you're over there doing that what's the thought process on what happens when we get back you think is there a thought that this is gonna remedy itself or it's going to come back together or are you you're like this is it's gone on too long
2: it it changed over the tour i think yeah um because when we left we had uh we had a tour booked when we got home like a six-week u.s tour um that of we were course supposed to go on. Did. of course we did yeah. what else are we gonna do um you can't not go on that six-week u.s tour <laughs> The thing was that it wasn't it wasn't the first time that Bren had not come on a tour. So even though it was definitely like the biggest deal as of that time, it was not like a foreign concept. So it wasn't immediate to us. It was not immediately like this is the end of the band. It was like, oh, this has happened before. Bren needs some time to get everything together. Yeah. Um, And maybe like maybe that'll happen. Um, maybe we will be able to work through this and figure out a way to do it that works for everybody Um, but I know for me it was kind of like going on that tour and like being in Europe and removing myself so much from I don't know reality in a way it was just really
1: just being in that time zone yes and just totally able to actually
2: reflect on what was going on. Yeah. I was kind of like, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, so, but that wasn't until it was like, I think it was maybe during the last week of the tour where I called Bren at home and I was like, Hey, how you doing XYZ? And we caught up and I was like, I don't think I can do this other tour. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about it. As a band. Um, and the crazy thing was that even before before we left for that European tour, we had had a really big band meeting at home where it was like, we all said openly, we have too much on our plate. This is getting crazy. We need to do these two tours, and then we need to like slow down and figure out how to do this. Um, but then when Bren backed out of the European tour, it was like, maybe we can't even do these two tours. Yeah, um, yeah. So...
1: There's uh, there's no, no real chance even if you made yeah. it through. Exactly. Yeah. You do play one show that I, I really wanted like just oh no yes because of absolutely
2: fuck. Johnston yeah dude what a couple of months it's been
1: uh, yeah no kidding
2: mm-hmm. um that was a wild experience for sure that yeah was, that was pretty crazy yeah how um, was that we. <laughs> we definitely could have been more prepared for it. Cause obviously that happened while we were like in the throes of not really being a band. Yeah. Uh,
1: had you made like any sort of announcements or anything like
2: that? Oh, uh, I don't remember which announcement came first. Cause it was, it was the Johnston show was booked relatively early on, but I think we probably announced it around the time that we announced, uh, we did like three shows in Philly uh-huh. to say, Hey, peace out for a little while. Yeah. Uh, I think Where we were those? Were
1: those at the church?
2: Union transfer. Yeah. I think we that was probably around, announcing around the same time as that, which would have been after we said, hey, this tour is canceled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was really, that was really wild.
1: You talked to him at all?
2: Or is he kind of... It was, we didn't really talk to him. No, I don't think we talked to him. Um, it I was went just, and looked at his set and I was just like, man, he just played the fucking hits. <laughs> Well, they let us pick the songs. Did they really? Yeah, they. It was so it was him and his brother, who was the manager. Whoa! And his brother just emailed us and was like, "Hey, uh, pick whatever songs you want to play." He has a songbook that just has all of his songs, and he reads out of the book anyway. So, uh,
1: yours ooh. band. Yeah. Oh
2: my God. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that. us and this other band from Philly called The Districts. And we each did six songs, I think. What, what did you do? Uh, we did one of the Casper songs. We did Funeral Home, Fuck. which was tight. We did, I uh, forget what the. Oh, and we did uh, the motorcycle song and a couple other ones. But it was crazy because we did not. Our first interaction with him was uh-huh. sound check which he showed up late to. Yeah. And he his brother put the notebook in front of him. And we just, like, ra- I don't think we ran through all of the songs we were going to play. We ran through, like, a couple of the songs that we were going to play. Wow. And I think maybe there was one song for us or the districts where he was like, I don't really want to play that one. Um, but otherwise, it was just, like, we just showed up and played behind him. Yeah. And he sang.
1: It's amazing.
2: Yeah, it was wild. Just You can just picture the weight of him. Because I, I
1: saw mm-hmm. him in, a, I think, 20, 2011 or 2012. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit later, because he just put out uh, a record that I'm blanking on. The, his late records are really good. Yeah? Yeah. I haven't done them. Um,
2: I honestly wasn't a huge Johnson person until we had to dig in to like learn the songs. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is... makes sense
1: yeah i remember i remember getting into him in college Mm -hmm. and then the documentary yeah powerhouse and then the that covers record was huge for me there's a cover it's called uh the late great discovered covered and it's uh covers and then the original versions of all of those songs um eels does a really good track Mm -hmm. and uh Death Cab does a really good track. So oh. It's Bright Eyes
2: and Back. Oh wait, is that the one when Bright Eyes does Devil Town? Devil Town. Yeah. Okay, cool. I know yep. that. Um yeah. That's uh
1: I feel like that's that made a lot of sense to me cuz it's mm-hmm. it's not fucking you can't just throw on a Daniel record and exactly. just be like I've heard that this guy was pretty good. <laughs> I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um you wish you're already going with Slaughter Beach. Like, yes, you have, um, welcome is mm-hmm. pretty much it's out in the same year as, as Holy Ghost. Right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess we, when you were starting it, it's, it starts out kind of as a, you know, a, a place where you can workshop a little bit and do yeah. something a little bit differently. and totally. And then now all of a sudden it's like, well, this is my thing now. Yeah. Was that was that an easy transition, or were you were you thinking about it in? I guess bring me in a little bit because it's it's like in some ways it's like no pressure, and mm-hmm. in other ways it's all the fucking pressure yeah. in the world.
2: Uh, so when it started, it was very much no pressure, um, and definitely no touring. Like we made, I think we did like five DIY shows one summer after Welcome came out. Maybe right before Welcome came out. And then when Modern Baseball canceled those tours, it was definitely not uh I think Birdie was maybe done but not out. Or we were I think we we're about to do Birdie. We were about to record Birdie. Yeah. Um, but I had no intention of like switching gears and just making it my number one band. I was like, these tours are cancelled, I have to go home and get a job. Uh-huh. Uh I'm still going to make this record because I want to, but it was definitely not like switching from band A to band B. Um, and it wasn't really until... I don't think it was until we went on tour with Birdie that I started taking it that much more seriously.
1: It's wild that you... I, I'm i looking at your output, and I'm like, how did you do literally anything when you're making these records so quickly?
2: Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, I mean... The thing about Modern Baseball was that even though we were on tour a lot, we were also afforded the luxury of, if we weren't on tour, we had nothing to do. Yeah. So, uh, whenever we were home, I, like... (laughs) (laughs) It's your loudest episode. Uh, oh, but also there was a... I made a little EP by myself that came out right before Birdie, so Mm -hmm. I made that too. Dog. Uh... Oh, Dog was the first one. Oh okay. this one was Motorcycle JPEG.
1: Oh, okay. Well that came out after. Early Span Camp says it came out Weird. between uh Welcome and
2: Birdie. Oh yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. It came out right before Birdie. Yeah. Um but so yeah, it was like we would be home if we weren't on tour and I would just have nothing to do. So that was kinda like for a while, I would just really not do anything. But then when I started digging more into Slaughter Beach Dog, it was like, oh, this is a thing I can do with this extra time. Um, but And then when we canceled those tours, I was like, I really have a lot of time now. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so, so I can just play all of the instruments because that way yeah. it'll take up a lot more
2: time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll make it take a really long time and I will have the complete control that i love to have
1: is that is that what it was you're just like i just want i just want to do this a little bit yeah Yeah.
2: that was how uh the first modern baseball record was was i played all the instruments because i i wanted to to be the boss (laughs) so Uh but i mean that's that's like the just one of the many manifestations of uh the conflict thing sure and not wanting to be in like a democratic music writing situation just saying like I'm going to feel the most comfortable if I can just do all this and not have to talk to anybody about it. Um, So it was kind of fun to be able to dip back into that with uh Birdie and. uh And then you don't, you don't,
1: you're not feeling like you're doing anything like at the expense of somebody else. Like this is right. your record, so totally,
2: yeah. All the the good or bad is on me at the end of the day.
1: Welcome, I f- I find it interesting because it comes off, you know, it's just. Kind of document of, of transition, mm-hmm. especially you listen to the the front half of that record and it's like oh, here's Jake from Modern Baseball. He made yeah. a, he made another Modern <laughs> Baseball record, but then when you when you get to songs like Politics of Grooming, mm-hmm. um, which is the fucking most Samson title <laughs> ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's okay. Drinks like yeah. that. That's I guess. When you're, when you're making that record, is there any conflict internally of like, I got to make something that's going to translate to people who like my band, got to make something that's
2: like close. It was honestly, because modern baseball was still happening when I made it, I kind of had the opposite feeling where I was like, modern baseball is happening nobody's paying attention to this i can do whatever i want right um and it was uh and because of that i i just ended up like throwing stuff at the wall through a lot of it
1: it's a really interesting (laughs) record so there's definitely like
2: you know songs that could be modern baseball songs on there
1: Um, and then you got these like you know kind of country yeah. things and then he, yeah. he end the record with the fucking like best uh emo post rock <laughs> instrumental that like fuck oh all God. of those other people yeah. like this is, <laughs> this is you just shot the shot yeah. in two minutes
2: but it was sick because i i threw all that stuff at the wall and then i was able to look back at it and say like what out of here did i enjoy the most doing? uh-huh um and i kind of came away at least going into birdie i came away with more like the kind of uh, politics of grooming drinks type stuff um, and started to try to like dive into that a little bit more
1: so where where are you in in the songs of of birdie are are those th- those feel like they're a part of your experience mm-hmm. as opposed to character based
2: yeah birdie is uh birdie was birdie was the first time that I mixed the two, yeah um it definitely varies from song to song, but Bertie has a lot of kind of, uh, I don't know. It has a lot of small details from my personal experience, but a lot of, a lot of the broad strokes are more fictional. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of, uh,
1: that, that bottle of heaven Hill is, is a real bottle. Of that heaven is a real Hell. bottle of
2: heaven Hill in the freezer. That is when you're, you're in college and you, you're, you think the whiskey goes in the freezer next to the vodka. Uh, but...
1: <laughs> I got to tell you what. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, that it's a lot of people like to say a brand name of thing of a thing. And mm-hmm. it's it's very rarely as precise and as and as just full of because what you said about that bottle of Heaven Hill is exactly what that bottle of Heaven Hill is. And anybody who hears a bottle of Heaven Hill in the freezer is like, I know exactly where this person is in his life. That's really cool to hear. That's awesome. I have a very deep affinity for references to whiskey yeah five and a half years sober that's all i got congratulations thank you um yeah wallace has the wild turkey you my friend have the yeah. heaven hill <laughs> reference. very 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 good thank you i appreciate that um yeah but you can i i love the i love to hear that that's what it is too because i mm-hmm. feel like the the details really do paint something that's that is very personal, mm-hmm. and making it less about the entire thing just being details. Mm-hmm. It's very. Do you read Ray Carver?
2: Yes. Fucking right. Yes. You do. He. Yeah. He really. He. He did me in. Yeah. Like he. He made me. He put me on a path. Yep. Yeah. When? When? What year did? Modern baseball. I think we canceled the tour in... Uh, 2017, uh, 2017, yeah. Then it would have been the winter of 2016. Oh, I started fuck. and I was like, oh shit, here yeah. we
1: go. <laughs> yeah, this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really. M- my find with him was when I was graduated and didn't read for like six months. Yes. I went to school for books, <laughs> and then and then found found Ray Carver. Dude, and it was like, this is. Everything that Welcome back to books. I need, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just so fucking precise,
2: yeah. Oh my god, dude. Have you read uh, Fires? Yeah, uh, the essay when he's talking about how, where he was, he went back to school and he was studying under this guy, and just how precise he would edit with like. Where the commas would go, yeah, and where the period would go, and just like removing and removing and removing everything.
1: You ever read those letters between him and his editor? For uh, I don't think so. So what we talk about when we talk about love, mm-hmm. um, that kind of that breaks him really for like Shit. national recognition, and um, if you're listening, <laughs> buy that book. <laughs> <laughs> and read it it's fucking phenomenal yeah. but his editor was just like just chop the fuck out of him and Ray is sending these letters that are just like please don't do this uh like no like you took this and it's now it's like I don't I don't even know what this is this doesn't even feel like mine anymore and is
2: that the way it ended up
1: yeah, and wow. then the the last couple of letters are just like thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> dude, fucking. But y- 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 the the ability to communicate so much with mm. just like heavy shit. Mm-hmm. Here's the uh, here's the thing that we're watching late at night on TV. Right, um, and
2: then you just get this person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: immediately. Yep. Uh, okay well that guy's drinking genesee yeah things yeah. must be going well
2: <laughs> yeah
1: um, yeah you can really feel that ray nice. carver on the Thank on you. that that's on that record too and yeah and i love like i said you know the the way things are zoomed out and the way that it's it feels very any town but it's also mm-hmm. like like i know where you're from so i mm-hmm. know that these are things in philly and um what i really like about that record too is that you are, it's, you, you feel like you're so in control of the instrumentation, the mm-hmm. pacing of things. Mm-hmm. There's nothing quick about
2: it. It's yeah. so deliberate. <laughs> that was kind of my, what is it called? Is it rum springer? Whenever the Amish kids like go not be Amish for a week. Yeah. That was yeah. like my rum springer from modern baseball. I love it's it. It's like, welcome was kind of trying everything out. And then Birdie's like, I'm really going to. Do something else. Yeah. Uh, And I really, with the help of Ian, because Ian produced it, we just really tried to lean into that. And we knew it wasn't going to be something like, we weren't going into it saying like, this is how every Sauter Beach Dog record is going to be. We were like, we definitely want to try to lean into this one time and see how it feels. I feel
1: like you did a really good job with sequencing that record too. Because even though it doesn't like peak, it it stays, you know, pretty in the middle. Like there's a, you know, those... Hummable songs are placed <laughs> where the hummable songs should be placed, and you cool. you take a nice journey with the thing. So, what what about that experience makes you say like, "All right, now it's time to bring a band in here," and I can't yeah. run I can't run rough shot anymore. <laughs> it's just I yeah. did it,
2: and now it's got it's got to be something different. Um, it was it really was not until. So at that point, it was still a rotating cast for live shows, and it wasn't until the we solidified an actual live show lineup and did a tour together, it wasn't until then that I said, I want everybody to play on whatever's next because this just feels really good. Yeah. And that was kind of the new... That was like the new challenge, basically, is saying, like, this feels really good. Uh, I want us to make a record together. And also, to be com- uh, completely transparent... Uh, I forget how long it was. It was like we had gone on tour. We asked Zach to be in the band. Zach was like the last person that wasn't officially in the band yet. And then either at the end of the tour, right when we got home, we were like, we're definitely making the next record together as a band. And then like a month later, I was just getting so deep in my head that it was like, I can't, I can't like get the whole reason I started started to be chugging the first place was to like have you know the safe zone where i could just go do whatever i wanted right and i was like obviously the band is fantastic but i can't already be saying i'm never going to do that again and if i want to do that again i'm going to have to start another band um so i like broke down and i met up with everybody and i was like hey i just want to be real like i'm probably going to want to do something else on my own eventually, but we don't even have to think about it yet. And everybody was like, oh, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a funny, like, I don't know. You spend so much
1: goddamn time thinking about it, and then you, you I, have yeah. to get everybody together exactly. for this thing, and they're like,
2: "It's sure. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you still think that you need to do that? Um, or was this like a an experience that made you say, like, no, I can, like, have what I need and also share right. it with people?
2: It went away for a long time completely forgot about it it honestly came back maybe like a week ago um but not even but it wasn't really related to the band it was more of a thought that's like um kind of as you know as like a new challenge whenever i did birdie i felt like i was in a very particular place and i've been feeling recently that i would be really curious to see how I would make a record on my own now. Um, thinking specifically, like, because now I'm very comfortable seeing myself as, like, a person who understands generally what's going on in their life. And I know I'm going to be making records, whether people are listening to them or not, pretty much for a long time. Yeah. Um, so the thing that's constantly running through my brain is kind of, like, what kind of records can I make? Who can I make records with? So. One of the things that popped in recently was like, I wonder what a record would sound like that I made by myself now with like the influences that I have now. But it's very... But now when I think about that, it's much less of an identity crisis and more of just like a, oh, this would be fun to try at some point down the road.
1: How does it How does it become less of an identity crisis? Is it the, just that you had your mini identity crisis and everyone's like, it's cool and you can take that in and... Pretty much,
2: I yeah. think so, yeah. And yeah, because it was so... The thing with that was, like, I I told them that as soon as I had that thought. And I was like, I know this is probably not a big deal, but I just want to say it because I thought it. And now, because I did that, I don't feel, like, guilty about having that thought. It's like, would it be cool if I made a record by myself again one day? Um, so, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I've gotten a lot better at saying how I feel a lot of the time yeah, and just owning up to my feelings. And uh, that's been very helpful for being in a band.
1: You can say no now, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is, uh, I mean, not that anyone is banging down Slaughter Beach Dogs tour to go on tour at the time, but for for the last couple of years, it has been. We've only done like one tour a year. Yeah. um, And that was because... All of us, uh, but when we when we went in, when I started thinking about touring with this band, I was like, I can't go on tour like Modern Baseball went on tour, so, and I told our agent that, and and that was kind of like a, it wasn't a difficult thing because we had been working together for a long time, but it was like a me being honest and being like, I want you to be involved here, but I can't go on tour like Modern Baseball went on tour, yeah, so stuff like that
1: when i hear these records that you're making and especially when i hear a song like black oak um i think that you are right in the spot that you talked about being in of you're gonna make records and that's going to be the thing that you do Mm -hmm. and following that it's working thanks tell me about i'm sure that everybody's asking you i didn't actually i usually read a lot of press but i didn't read a lot of press when i did this that's great um uh where the fuck did that song come from
2: uh i I don't know. Uh, it kind of just happened. I don't want to give a lot away about it because I want to let people make it into whatever they want to make it into. Yeah. Um, but it was um, it was one sitting, and uh, I will say that it was one of the few times where I ever okay. So the music was done and i had some filler words. Mhm. And we were about to start recording the album. Did you have that you have that whole coda and everything? We ha- it wasn't that long, but it was there was the coda. I'm so happy that you
1: <laughs> let it go that long.
2: Nice. I'm... I hope that
1: if if there's a, anything that's in your head saying no. <laughs> fucking ignore it, dude. Cool. You can do whatever Thank you, you so want. Much. You can do whatever you want.
2: Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um the music was done. Code was not quite that long yet, Um, and I had some filler words, and we were getting ready to record, and I was like... I had done some revising to some of the other songs, and I was like, this one kind of needs an overhaul. I'm going to just go to the coffee shop and start from scratch. And I did. And then came back the next day, and I think we started... We didn't start recording, but we jammed that song... And uh heart attack, I think, and uh, it felt a lot better, but I just kind of I wrote it from the beginning, like the first line is the first line that came, and then I just kind of went from there. so I don't know
1: it's it's such a like what the f- why is he doing that? <laughs> and then to just watch it unfold, it's just like you just let that thing go and i and i and I really like it, and I love the way you just like locked in like the narrator of that song needs to tell the story that way and when i heard it for the first time it was one of those moments where i was like i knew he was on to something (laughs) this kid he was fucking he was a child i seen him in the garage
2: (laughs) i seen him in the garage
1: and then that Thing starts and it goes for a couple of minutes, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to look, but I want to look, and I look at that progress yeah. dot, and I'm like, we're rolling. Damn right, damn right. Let it go,
2: uh, let it go. That's awesome to hear.
1: It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming over, dude.
2: Of course, I had a great time. Good.
1: All right. Hey, you know, as I'm getting ready to have Jake over to talk, what I'm reading into his music more than anything is this persistence to move forward and to hone in on the craft of writing and to push himself out of his comfort zone and continue on a path. People don't always approach their work this way. We're lucky. When they do, I was very taken by so much of what Jake had to say about his process and to see him come out of a lot of intensity very early on in his career, very early on in his adult life, and to build stability, the stability that he's carved out. It's just a very encouraging thing to see. This is one of those interviews that I file near the top, appreciate Jake coming over. The timing, sometimes these things just lock into place and you get a really, really good feeling about doing the thing that you're doing. Thanks so much, Jake, for coming over. Check out Slaughter Beach Dog online, slaughterbeach.bandcamp.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Follow us on Spotify. Help spread the word, rate Write a review. Tell a friend. I'm on Twitter, at BetterYetPod. We are on Bandcamp. BetterYetPodcast.Bandcamp.com Pick up a copy of All of God's Money, our tribute to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, the website, BetterYetPod.com, Patreon is Patreon.com slash And thank you so much. Thanks to Chloe and Lily. Thanks to Jake for coming over. David Anthony. I can never thank you enough for so much, so much. A lot of John K. talk today. I figure he can take us home. Come back next week. Thanks, boys.
3: Never last this long Guess I'll never be the one To defeat desire and song Here's a marker Here's my naked skin Our exhibit A Put a small X Where I lost my way All the actors broke their legs And it's too late to postpone The producer's getting high And the audience went home Smile and take your awkward bow Turn and stumble off the stage let the rain be your applause Every encore soothe your rage Squid with one eye i a show tune Wait for your ride to stay Oh, that's where you Must have lost your way light circle where we lost our way